Over the Edge, directed by Jonathan Kaplan. Rebellion, angst, rage, rock and roll. These things are givens when most people are younger, or at least what we expect out of disaffected youth movies. It goes back to Rebel Without a Cause, though personally that's not a film I revisit much. It hasn't aged as well as many other films, since it's still drenched in a 1950 sense of ennui and melancholy. But perhaps the significance is simply the number of works that sprang from that tome for the world of teenagers, like Dark Knight Returns did for the Batman comics. Just because it's not the best doesn't mean there aren't the wonderful descendants. Case in point, Over the Edge, which was one of the first films to actually gain a cult audience on premium cable, HBO, before it got a full-on theatrical release. It was meant for theaters in 1979, but came out at a time when a number of movies, like The Warriors and The Wanderers and other The Movies, made things dangerous in theaters, where people were going to start fights with other gangs. I'm not making this up. Today it's largely remembered as the debut for actors Matt Dillon and Vincent Spano, but it's, now re- but it's not revisited the way or revered like the John Hughes movies that would follow in the 1980s would be. But there's a feeling watching Over the Edge, the many times I did so, that this served as a bridge between the two worlds of Rebel Without Cause and the John Hughes mindset, only much grungier and rawer. Also linked to other youth movies that would become underground or cult sensations, like Penelope Spheres' Suburbia. I actually thought that film, which was about a group of disaffected runaways who banded together as a kind of punk rock group, not so much as any official gang, more than Hughes' work, despite the fact that Over the Edge is set in a more suburban milieu. It's a world of young people being completely alienated, or at least that's the feeling, um, you know, that uh, that's being communicated to us. And the main difference I feel, unlike with Rebel, is that there's no judgment of the characters. There's no sense of finger-wagging or sermonizing or anything that's way too dramatic like a you're tearing me apart moment or if there is a sermon it's mostly left to an intense argument with the adult at the very end and maybe one or two minor missteps but we'll get to that of course welcome to new granada where people come to escape city life it has safe streets clean air good schools it's a perfectly planned community but something strange is happening Something that wasn't part of the plan. Seems to me like you all were in such a hopped-up hurry to get out of the city that you turn your kids into exactly what you're trying to get away from. Something that could drive this town over the edge. The hook for Over the Edge comes from a, quote, true story, sort of, that happened in 1973 in Foster City, California. You can find it somewhere, I'm sure, in the San Francisco Examiner, in an article with the eye-grabbing headline, and I quote, Mouse Packs. Sit kids on a crime spree, where a planned community was created, and where the adolescent and teenage residents caused mass vandalism. What is a planned community? 
it's the uncanny situation of a suburban town being created basically inorganically. Where in the past, you might see a suburban town spring up over decades. This was more like, let's get a town together now, right away, and attract businesses and developers to make a place for families to come away from the cities for the most part. <clears throat> I think that some some of this background may be lost on viewers watching the film today who don't know what a planned community was or what the screenwriters did as their research, which included going to the town where this happened and ask the kids about life there. But the reason the movie has an impact is that it is not quite so specific. Looking at where uh, they, they filmed, which was oddly enough in the suburbs of Denver where Columbine High School is, it could be the suburban town of Spielbergian pleasantry, a place that should be safe, and maybe little adventures happen. Mm-hmm. What makes it hit is that disaffected and wayward youth can be relatable for the fact that almost all of us, or anyone that doesn't grow up to be a sociopath or a complete goody-two-shoes, had problems as young people. That, that age of being 13, 14, 15, miserable years. School sucks and is boring. The teachers don't get us. What is there to do in such a stupid town? Time to party. Time to do, uh, stuff. The first half of Over the Edge sets up a scenario where the kids only have in this town of New Granada, which is what it's called, a youth center, which has, a uh, table football, and, uh, that's about it. Remember, this is the 1970s, before malls sprout up everywhere, and where a drive-in movie theater or bowling alley or roller skating rink were not simply forms of entertainment, but getaways, enclaves for young people. New Granada doesn't have that, or smartphones, or the internet, or video games, or anything. So what is there to do? Wander around, shoot off the occasional firework, maybe uh, take aim with a BB gun at a cop car driving along the highway? Okay, so some of the kids in this story, most notable Richie, played by Matt Dillon in his debut, are young punks with little ambition. But I don't think the lack of things that kids have today makes the film dated. On the contrary, it carries a kind of timeless quality in the emotions that the characters go through that we get to go through with the lead kid, Carl, who has things happen to him in the movie. He gets busted along with his best friend Richie for, what, hiding while the kids who shot the BB gun at the cops are running off? How about not taking a liking to one of these little sprats for making out with a girl that he's kind of liking at a party, Corey, and then the ensuing backlash is a beatdown on Carl from these two kids? But of course he can't tell. How can he? As Richie says eloquently to a cop at one point, Well, how about it, kid? You know, you could really use a break. Why don't you give me a name? You guys got a lot of laws, right? Well, let me tell you something. I only got one law. A kid who tells on another kid is a dead kid. Well, that's a good rule, kid. Yes, sir. It'll serve you well in jail someday. Damn straight. I think what sets this apart from other movies of its time, um, you know, that is in 1979 when it got... Uh, shunned for happening to come out at the same time as the warriors which is about gangs and violence on a more comic book level or the wanderers or any of those other movies that attracted gangs to movie theaters is that these could be kids in a spielberg movie 
Some of them may talk a little more on the, quote, street side of things. Dylan seems like he was plucked right off of the corner to do the role. And sure, some of the kids do drugs. A lot of drugs. Uh, like to the point where a kid goes to school thinking he took some speed. And nope, sorry, it's acid. And here's Hieronymus Bosch to look at in class today. And sure, when one of the kids finds a gun in someone's house, never mind who, it becomes a point of, well, fun to shoot and aim at cans to pass the time. They're still meant to be young people of a suburban community who represent the future. And young people can see themselves in them. But can they? One of the things I knew before going into this movie is that it was much beloved by another young, quote, punk, so to speak, Kurt Cobain. Footage from the film is included in the documentary Montage of Heck, and Cobain in his journals once said the film is really, quote, about real estate. That's a sharp and cutting remark to make, but maybe not entirely wrong. He also called the movie cool and said it was his favorite movie, something to that effect. The adults in this movie are focused mostly narrowly to the parents of Carl. His dad runs a car dealership in this town. His mom is one of those beleaguered moms who loves his son and just wants him to take it a little bit easy on his dad for now. And a friend of his father, uh, who may be the mayor, but that's never quite clear, who wants to bring in Texas businessmen to develop the town. Julia, who runs the youth center and seems to be the only adult in the town that has any empathy for the kids. And the cops, who act like cops. What do you expect? Though as played by Harry Northrup, it's an odd character, which I'll get to momentarily. The other adults, such as teachers and other assorted figures over the age of, say, 16, are all self-involved people who may someday be yuppies, but first have to get through the rest of the car administration. I wondered if the movie would have benefited from having less one-dimensional adult figures. But I had to keep remembering that this was not really the adult story. It's through the eyes of those listening all night to the music of the cars and Cheap Trick and the Ramones who smoke cigarettes and drink and certainly smoke some pot and feel completely disconnected from the reality around them. I think that the same sensibility that went into showing these disaffected bunch, really not all bad. Okay, Mark, Vincent Spano, the one who shot the cop car, is an asshole. But even he gets a scene in the third act that humanizes him with Carl. Unsure what to do with themselves and full of hormones fucking them up as naturalistically as possible. Also goes for the adults, up to a point. In youth movies such as this, there's a conflict between young and the authorities. And if it's not the adults, it's certainly the cops. The top dog at the police force is Doberman, who may or may not seem like a total hard-ass depending on how many cops you've seen in real life or movies. I think that mostly his character is consistent throughout the story, and yet for every viewing I had, I never saw much empathy for him. His character starts off as the kind to not have a shred of sympathy for any of these youths, and even lectures Carl, who were told or sort of shown in their performances, is not as bad an egg as Richie, could have a chance to make something of himself as long as he doesn't screw up. If he does, he'll go to, quote, the hill, where we can assume kids are taken to as juveniles to be detained. But then comes the climax. This takes a brief explanation to tell you. Richie and Carl try to run away at one point. They've had it. They can't take it anymore. One thing has led to another, and then the cops give chase after Richie steals a car. Richie whips out a gun, and he's shot and killed by Northrop. 
was the gun loaded? Hey, who cares? One moment that certainly echoes modern life now, but I digress. Carl doesn't know what to do, and the other kids rally around him and know what happened was bogus. So, hey, uh, why not go to the school as the parents hold a special meeting about what happened with young Richie and what the hell is going on with the town and proceed to trash everything to smithereens? Meanwhile, all the adults are locked in the auditorium by the kids and have to sit and watch the carnage unfold, with the occasional girl getting on the school PA system to mock things like piano instructions. Yeah, it's weird. Just go with it. This climax has made the movie notable, a reason to see over the edge for many people. And how could it not? The ending of this movie is kind of a collision of what propelled the stories of Carrie and Do the Right Thing, albeit it somehow manages to keep its PG rating by a lack of bloodshed on a mass scale a la Carney. Or Carrie, I should say. For 1979, this is a hard PG would be a PG-13 or maybe just go for the R today. Certainly the lack of heavier curse words make it less realistic. But here cars are smashed, hallways wrecked, library torn apart, guns sprung out of the cop cars. Yeah, uh, they go to the adults mean too. And guns go off everywhere. It's a dose of much-needed anarchy that, narratively speaking, is not in there just to be purely sensationalistic. Early in the movie... The students of the junior high school are sat down and made to watch one of those short movies that could have been mocked on MST3K, where the message is, vandalism is wrong. The seeds were planted there, my friends, when they were mocking that trailer and clapping along to all the vandalism you see in that little short. But here's what happens that rubbed me the wrong way with this Doberman character. To get back to him. This magnificent riot takes place. The doors are finally opened up. Doberman sprints to his car and catches up with Carl, who is running away. He cuffs him and puts him into the car, and then Doberman gets the last line of the movie. They're going to send you up to the hill for a couple of weeks, and I hope you get straightened out. I really do. My first viewing, I tried to brush this aside, strange as it felt, because right after... It is a shocking finale, which I won't reveal here, except to say the one major act of violence does happen in the story, outside of Richie's death. I think each successive viewing made it clear, this is inorganic to this character and the situation of this uh, finale. Any cop, much less Doberman, would not talk this way. I suspect it's the same impetus by the producers that made the final song of the movie change from what was to be The Who's Baba O'Reilly, yeah, on the nose, I know. Teenage Wasteland and all that. But come on, it's maybe the awesome song about teenage alienation, right? To a cover of Ooh Child, which is meant to be a soothing song about how things will change and get easier for Carl and all those other kids who had little chance but to explode and do this incredible act. Making things a little smoother, a little less edgier, no pun intended, for this movie's finale. I don't buy it. And it makes what has been a movie that has tried to stay on the side of realism, or as realistic as one of these movies can go, and cheapens out. Like, no, but see, the cop had a heart all along. Or perhaps it's simply a rushed moment, narratively speaking. That one thing happens quickly after another in the last five minutes, and there's little room to make sense of how a cop, seeing the destruction of an entire school and spearheaded largely by one student, would talk in a way that's... compassionate? understanding since when 
establish he has a tiny bit of heart before you go all Grinch on us, guys. I mentioned this because this was the one major point I took uh, off, off from how Over the Edge just shows us teenage alienation, frankly, boredom that leads to destructive behavior. It's meant to be something that evolves artistically from what movies about teenagers and rebellious youth were in more B-independent movies, which this certainly was at the time, back in Roger Corman's era. Hot rodders with cool chicks and guys with greasy hair having lingo that is plain laughable today. It may be almost too on the side of the kids, if that makes sense. Like, there's little other viewpoint than the young versus the adults, with the exception of of the Julia character, uh, who is fairly a minor player here, which was a point my wife made watching the film. It's almost like watching a movie that gets down into the shit with these kids to the point that maybe a kid actually made the movie him herself. To that extent, I sort of agreed, but that's not a bad thing. This leads as much to the way that a movie like Harmony Corinne and Larry Clark's Kids exists. To get us so deep into the world of how young people talk, act, think, and feel, that the line that separates us from them diminishes. They can't be completely alien to us, or punks who should wise up and totally get their act together. It doesn't work like that, certainly not overnight. In that sense, Over the Edge is a more hopeful movie than you may expect, ultimately. While I kept wishing it could have had stuck to its more metaphorical guns, the real catharsis near the end may not be for the kids. This is a phase that, for most of them, will pass in time, like the hero of the 400 blows or something. But for the adults, do they keep figuring out how to sell the value of the land in their little piece of shit planned community, where everyone has come to get away from where they were before, sort of a blend of a city in the Spielbergian paradise? or focus on who is actually there among them. That holds up extremely well. And hey, at the end of it all, I could sum up the experience of immersing myself in this with one word. It rocks.